Greetings, family. Today's episode is with Rak Rassam. You'll hear his amazing story from his first ayahuasca ceremony to his current work. He's doing amazing. Um, he just started an amazing documentary series called Shamans of the Global Village, which he will speak once the interview starts. But for me, this was a very key guest for my podcast. I find that he has gone through a journey that has led him to experience magic in life to its fullest. He has the perspective of an artist to this world of shamans, plant medicine, healing, spirituality. So the way he explains, the way he relates his own journey, and he can also explain maybe the journey of many of us with such detail um, and using the right words and using the right emotions, which sometimes is hard coming from deep introvertive uh, experiences like ayahuasca, buffalo virus. He filmed a movie, directed and filmed a movie called Aya Awakenings, which while watching with my partner Bianca, we were, she was actually lying in bed. She's like, dude, I'm going into my ayahuasca trip because he, Rack is his, managed to convey the message and the experience in such a profound and deep way that by watching his movie, it makes you feel you're back in the circle if you've ever done ayahuasca. And if you have not, it will give you, I think, one of the best perspectives you could have without engaging in the actual plant medicine. He is gaining and sharing knowledge from shamans from all over the world throughout this latest project of Shamans of the Global Village. But he's also very human. He has a family. He's the father of two. Uh, he lives in the USA, which psychedelics are pretty much banned and regulated in the point that if you dare to use them, you go to Guantanamo, like a friend would say. But he's uh, helping us take away the taboo, helping us discover that it's not something that you only do when you party or when you rave. Psychedelics are a fundamental piece of our evolution. Most um, native cultures from thousands of years ago until now have been using this psychedelics, this plant medicine in all its various forms from peyote, San Pedro, um, salvia divinorum, iboga, ayahuasca, and now more in recent times, buffalo virus to take away the veils of illusion. It's not that you go to an outer reality. In my perspective and experience, I think you finally are able to see what is it. You're finally able to see the world as G-O-D, God, and the whole universe intended to be seen. And finally, you are seen and you feel and you're connected. Anyways, um, I'll leave you with the interview. I hope it inspires you as much as 
as it inspired me. I make rack at the WBAC World Buffalo Values Conference in Mexico last July, and after he was the MC, the host, and after hearing him speak and convey such a profound message, I was sure I had to have him on Urban Awakening podcast. Hope you enjoy. This is Urban Awakening, and I'm your host, Jose Reynoso. Today we have Rak Razam as a guest. Um, and um, he's done so many, so many projects, so many cool things that I want him to tell us about it. But he's, he's uh, written a book. He has uh, created a movie in 2013. Uh, he's currently doing a project called Shamans of the Global Village, which is a documentary series project that you can check out later. Um, anyways, um, I much rather Rack Rasam to tell us a little bit who he is and um, and just uh, share his story. Welcome, Rack. Thank you, Jose. It's good to be here. So, um, my goodness, I always find it a bit awkward saying who I am and what I've done. But um, basically, you know, I started out as a as a media maker. I'm a, a writer and a journalist, uh, and you know, I've um, I was writing on consciousness and technology and spirituality issues for, for media in Australia. Um, and uh, early on in my career of doing that, I went down to the Amazon to look at the mythical archetype of the shaman and what, what role, uh, what that meant in the 21st century, what this sort of mythical role of the shaman and the mediator in their communities, what it meant and what the great uh, you know, medicine of ayahuasca was all about. And so that three-month journey in 2006 initiated me into the vegetal kingdom and into the world of shamanism versus just psychedelics or psychonautics, which I'd previously been in, and counterculture mm -hmm. and festival culture. And this understanding that the world is alive and intelligent and loving and Mama Gaia, as, uh, as many people call her, or Pachamama, as they say in South America, or many other labels, but that we're embedded in something bigger than us and that essentially humans, I like to think of now, are like one strand in a planetary biome, you know, in this sort of like um, collection of uh, identity and that we serve a larger purpose. Mm -hmm. And that essentially in the phases of history, in what um, many indigenous cultures understand as world ages or cycles of time, that we have been going through a pretty dark period in human history. In fact, history, you know, as Terence McKenna, who's another very famous psychedelic philosopher, said his story is essentially 10 to 12,000 years old. And it's really been a journey of adversity and separation from nature, from that mother Gaia, and of the ego um, as a protective mechanism to help us navigate. But when you know like they say this analogy of the goldfish in the bowl in the water mm -hmm. and when you're born into that you never know you're in water mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and so our entire 10 to 12,000 years of history that we think of as our existence on the planet as humans we've actually been in a pocket of time and a pocket of consciousness which is not the only capacity mm -hmm. and other indigenous cultures like where i'm from in australia with the australian aborigines the origines of of the land they say that we have a dream time consciousness and that wow. essentially it's cyclic and it's coming back mm. and we've had different capacities for different stages of consciousness and that what i feel in my work both with ayahuasca for the last 13 years or so and uh, in recent 
years, the last four years or so, working with Buffalo various toad medicine. Uh, and being a commentator, you know, as you said, I've, I've written two books on ayahuasca, made a documentary on ayahuasca and made a documentary on the toad. Mm -hmm. And being a commentator and a part of the community, the shamanic community globally, mm -hmm. and what I like to call the global shamanic resurgence. And this, this helped initiate this current project I'm working on, a documentary series called Shamans of the Global Village. Dot com, uh, which is looking at, um, you know, people who are the caretakers of these uh, medicinal plants and earth sacraments on behalf of the planet who have connection to indigenous lineage. And these substances are essentially helping us to heal mm -hmm. and to cleanse and to remember our place in the web of life mm -hmm. and what we're embedded in and to dissolve the historical narrative of his story and to remember that there's a bigger perspective and a bigger um, capacity of consciousness. And so in, in general, who am I? I am another you. Mm. And uh, I think that we are all involved in very exciting, dare I say, apocalyptic times mm -hmm. living on the edge of history where we have this opportunity for transformation. And that mm. is what the shamanic paradigm is helping to uh, assist and enable. Oh, well, yeah, thank you so much. I really like uh, your perspective of the whole bigger picture and how uh, the indigenous people of Australia talk about the dream cycle and whatnot. And it could be correlated with the Kali Yuga from the Vedic text and whatnot, right? Like that we're coming out from the darkest age and we're, it's the time to rise up, uh, I guess. Um, so you live in the States where precisely what you do probably is not so friendly for most uh, ever since President Nixon said this is wrong. Uh, so how, how is your life doing what you do in the States? Uh, how, how does it work? So, you know, as you, as you mentioned there, so President Richard M. Nixon initiated uh, what has been called the War on Drugs in 1971 mm -hmm. as, a, as a sort of, you know, blowback from the, the hippies in the, the late 60s, the Summer of Love, you know, Timothy the Beatles, all, all, all You Need Is Love, like the first global telecast, all these incredibly threatening ideas of love, <laughs> togetherness, oneness, unity, you know, altered states, which was such a, a threat to the dominant paradigm, which is essentially the war machine. You've mm -hmm. got to remember that essentially, and we're seeing this disintegrate in front of our eyes with America basically losing its empire and its uh, homogeny over the, 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 the empire um, and all the other power plays that are happening. But es essentially, um, that's been a war on people. The war on drugs isn't about war on drugs. It's really about a war on consciousness. Mm -hmm. Graham Hancock, another psychedelic commentator, has a very famous TED talk that was banned briefly oh, yeah. um, uh, called the war on consciousness. And mm -hmm. essentially, you know, there are two types of societies. There's what they call in anthropology, they call polyphasic or monophasic. Polyphasic. And essentially, pretty much all the indigenous cultures of the land and of the old world who have plant medicines and even who are connected to the earth and use you know the the plants as medicines whether they're psychoactive or not uh they have the opportunity within that connection to the land and the plants to engage with um psychoactive plants which mm -hmm. change consciousness in western culture we pretty much are reduced to coffee as a stimulant alcohol tobacco 
and the 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 plant um, drugs which connect us to the work culture, mm-hmm. and the work culture is fundamentally tied to um, the capitalist structure and tied to the war machine. So you know they call this the post-industrial entertainment military complex mm-hmm. because it's all connected. It's all, it's all one connected. big leviathan mm-hmm. beast. So that's what has essentially been behind you know the war on consciousness and the war on the people. But indigenous cultures understand that. This isn't about drugs. This isn't about um, products that come off an assembly line and that you take to remain, you know, it, it's, it's about relationships. So when I first went down to the Amazon in 2006, as well as learning about the role of the shaman and about the medicine of ayahuasca and other plants, I learned about the indigenous Peruvian cosmovision, about their idea of how they see the world and their place in it. And essentially it's holistic. It's animistic in the sense that they believe that the plants have spirits in them. Everything has spirit in it. Everything is part of great spirit, which animates and is behind all living things. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, it's about relationships. So you can abuse anything, right? You mm-hmm. could abuse the coca plant, for instance, in oh, Peru. Yeah. And in, in the West, they've turned that into cocaine. You know, so the West has almost a, almost a 500-year relationship of, of drug dependency where not just from Richard Nixon on, but from the time of the empires and the conquistadors and going over to the old world and seeing indigenous cultures, which use things like um, San Pedro cactus mm-hmm. or the psilocybin mushrooms, the flesh of the gods. Of the gods and yeah. as the, those empires um, were, you know, colored by the church and usually the, the, the Catholic church at the time and saw these plants as the work of the devil, um, you know, they had a real, uh, a real prejudice against them. So uh, they've basically, um, they've basically continued that prejudice along, but they've not understood that in the indigenous understanding, these plants are about relationships. So what the West did when it had first encountered tobacco, it's turned tobacco, which in Native American um, usage is one of the power plants. It's one of the master plants mm-hmm. and it helps, it helps you pray. It helps you connect to breath. It helps you connect to um, the spirit of the tobacco plant, which is one of the revered plants in Peru. They say that the tobacco spirit is like the, the mother of ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. It synergizes mm-hmm. and works with ayahuasca on a spirit level and it's a very holy plant. But in the West, they've turned that into a commodity and commodified it. So this is what the West has done. It's like a virus. It's like a a cancer that is out of control because it's all feeding the ego. And it takes all the power plants all the way back to tobacco, all the way back to, you know, all these other things. And it either demonizes them or it commodifies them. It desacralizes them because the Western consciousness has been itself desacralized, Mm -hmm. i.e. it does not remember the gift of the miracle of Mm -hmm. life that we inhabit every day if we choose to see and feel and remember. So these plants, when you go to, you know, uh, indigenous cultures across the world, there's San Pedro cactus, who I mentioned, you know, in Peru and elsewhere, mm-hmm. there's ayahuasca all through South America, there's psilocybin mushrooms all through Mesoamerica, there's a bullfowl various toad, uh, which has recently resurfaced as a, as a modern sacrament uh, through Mesoamerica and now around the world. There's Aliloquai, the morning glory seeds of Mesoamerica as well. Very concentrated um, uh, distribution of these medicines in uh, Mesoamerica and South America, um, which inevitably is going to lead up to North America because it's all connected, right? Mm -hmm. 
Um, but this whole idea of uh, censorship and of, of, of the war on drugs, it's basically trying to, or it has been trying to control everyone to keep the war machine, the empire, the nine to five commodification, which we've seen is now in late stage capitalism collapse. Mm -hmm. We're seeing that across, across the planet. So at the same time as that's been happening, we've been seeing this equal and opposite reaction of a resurgence in interest in shamanism globally in those same countries of the West, which in, in, originated this conquest of the old world 500 years ago. Mm -hmm. And in Peru, they had this, uh, this legend called the Eagle and the Condor. Mm -hmm. And it, it says that in 500 years time, essentially the, the descendants of the conquerors will be the ones who will be remembering and the eagle and the condor represent the head and the heart. Mm -hmm. And that is what has been distanced and separated in, in Western culture is the heart. Mm -hmm. in, in shamanism, as I understand, that's where you navigate from. That's mm -hmm. your center point. That's your remembrance. That's mm -hmm. your connection. And in the West, it's all been top-heavy, ego-driven, mind-driven, consuming-driven, um, rape, pillage, plunder, take from the planet, and here's our late-stage capitalism, ecological, societal collapse mm -hmm. because of it. And it's caused this equal and opposite reaction of a resurgence of spirit because you cannot block, you cannot destroy or detour uh, energy. Energy is like going to go. It, it, there's this generational impulse to come back to center. Mm -hmm. So here in America, where I now live, uh, I'm working as a media professional. Mm -hmm. uh, I am also leading ayahuasca retreats over to Peru once a year. And I do have one coming up in June 22nd to July 1st. And you can find me at ayaawakenings.com, A-Y-A-Awakenings.com. Uh, there's information about the retreats there. Sometimes I also lead Bufo or various retreats in Mexico. Uh, I haven't been doing that of late. There is potentially uh, the World Bufo or various Congress part two coming up this year mm -hmm. in late July in Mexico city, where a lot of practitioners and general community who work with the Bufo of various medicine uh, gather to talk about the science and the shamanism and to celebrate the gift mm -hmm. of the community who work with uh, this very powerful uh, entheogenic sacrament. So I've helped mm -hmm. organize that and be part of that along with Mario Garnier and others. Uh, but essentially what I see happening around the world is this uh, resurgence in shamanism as, you know, the, the, tech, the, the definition of shamanism is essentially the techniques, the archaic techniques of ecstasy. Mm. It's a beautiful phrase. It comes from Mercy Eliad, who wrote the book Shamanism in the 1960s, um, who was a Western anthropologist and, and, you know, studied all the indigenous cultures of the world. Because of his background at the time, he had a bit of a built-in cultural prejudice against plants. He doesn't really document a lot of plant usage in that book. Where now, even though other techniques like breathwork and trance dance and drumming are still very central to uh, indigenous cultures and shamanism around the world, a lot of the uh, a lot of the press is really all about uh, psychedelic, entheogenic uh, plant and animal-based, um, you know, consciousness shamanism. Uh, which is really effective. People are really uh, finding that it works. It has a lineage and it's, uh, it's an exciting world, which is really mm -hmm. opening up to rebalance all those um, imbalances of his story. Mm, beautiful. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, it's a really interesting point. Uh, the one you mentioned about how Western uh, society has uh, impregnated their, their, um, Finger trim, uh, fingerprints in, in such beautiful medicines like San Pedro 
or coca leaves or whatever. When I was here in Spain uh, sharing uh, rapé from uh, the Yawanawa, some, uh, the grandfather of a friend told me, oh, that's uh, rapé. We, we used to do that all the time. Uh, they would put it in, they had like a long nail and they would snort it. And I think that was the way the Spanish adopted rapé. And as you said, instead of taking it as a sacrament connected with the plants and using the element of wind, they started using it all the time, probably just uh, ma- making different mixtures and it become a drug, basically. So I was, I was, it was a really cool perspective of how something so special can be westernized and tainted with our, with our mind, uh, uh, well, ego. Yeah, this is what we're, we're learning. It's not just about the plants and the sacraments or the peak experience of the mm-hmm. medicine and what it connects us to, which is so powerful mm-hmm. and can be so healing and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really about uh, respect. It's about mm-hmm. relationship. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, this is what the indigenous cultures also say. There's these sayings about you think seven generations ahead and seven generations back. We don't have that perspective. We have pretty much a 15 second dopamine hit social media target window, which is killing us as a culture globally, right? Mm-hmm. But if you can connect to the, the land and the ancestors and the spirits and think ahead and plan for the long term, it's like we're right on the edge of the apocalypse. And, mm-hmm. and you know, in the original Greek, the apocalypse doesn't necessarily mean you know death and 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 devastation it means the revelation of the truth that which is hidden becomes Mm -hmm. apparent Mm -hmm. and sometimes what these substances can help reveal is the truth is that Mm -hmm. we are not the dominant species we think we are we are not the be all and end all that we're embedded in a living organism called mother earth which is alive Mm -hmm. and she has birthed us as a species where we're inside the mother, still inside the womb, and we're one species amongst many. And, you know, we can see uh, in nature that as well as the Darwinian competition idea, there's also a top level up from that where species work in interspecies symbiosis and they cooperate. And there's a network-centric, not hierarchical, but network-centric capability for one species to transform the earth or carry pollen like bees, carrying it and pollinating flowers. And there's a, there's a synergy where the larger organism of Mother Nature is creating life and transmuting energy through all her species. We're carriers of energy and mm-hmm. carriers of consciousness. And, you know, I've had so many beautiful ayahuasca journeys in the jungles of Peru, where not just about the visions, about the sensitization and the heart-based connection that enables me to feel connected. I can hear Mm -hmm. the monkeys and the birds and the rain and the wind, and I can hear nature and I can feel that larger presence, which is what we're disconnected from. And this is the root cause Mm -hmm. of the PTSD in modern society and the anxiety and the trauma is that we're shut into little boxes. We're separated from each other. We're separated from nature and we're no longer feeling we're thinking we're feeding the ego mind. We're getting our feeds. We're getting Mm -hmm. our dopamine hits, but it's not enough. It's Mm -hmm. not real. You know, it's Mm -hmm. not feeding the soul. And Mm -hmm. that's why we're experiencing sickness as a global culture. Mm -hmm. And so the potential for these medicines, when they're used in the right way, in a ceremonial context or a healing or therapeutic context, um, is to reconnect us and reweave us. And Mm -hmm. that's the original um, 
translation in Latin of religion to relige is to reconnect. Reconnect. And you've got to ask them to what? To spirit, to soul, mm -hmm. to the planet, to ourselves, to, to the mystery of creation that wants to be known and felt. Mm. Wow. Yeah, I was uh, interviewing uh, Javier Regueiro, which is an ayahuasquero from uh, Peru. He's Spanish born, but he lives in Peru. And he was saying like people forget that when they go do the sacrament of uh, drinking ayahuasca, they're not drinking a beverage. They're drinking the essence, the soul of the whole Amazon, of the whole world. And as you said, it makes you connect with the monkeys, with, the, with whatever animal. It makes you remember that you're part of this whole. It, it makes you... I remember that you're not alone, I believe. That was at least my, my perspective in my first journey. Um, I was looking on your uh, social media and I saw that you, uh, you shared the, the interview with Tim Ferriss and Stan Groff. Uh, I thought it was amazing because he, he really mentioned, because there's, there's a whole debate. Sometimes I talk to doctors and they're like, you're not conscious when you're taking this substance, yada, yada. But he, it was really interesting how he spent so much time with Tibetans and he was saying that after lots of research, they came to the conclusion and the Tibetans and many other uh, spiritual people were saying there's no difference between a non-ordinary state of reality, as he calls them, because he doesn't like to call them altered states, uh, induced by prayer and meditation than induced by chemical substance coming from the earth or manufactured by, by man. Um, what do you thought about that, about that interview? I think it was, it was amazing the way he, he was uh, showing some uh, of his perspective and 4,500 LSD experience. Uh, yeah, the past so listeners don't know, Stan Groff is one of the, the, the titans of the, uh, the psychedelic community. He's in his uh, 80s, I believe, or late 70s. Mm -hmm. And he was working with LSD in Czechoslovakia in the 50s and maybe early 60s. But when that became banned, he, he moved to looking at uh, breath work and mm -hmm. also holotropic breath work. He created mm -hmm. a whole modality around it. Um, but, you know, I, I totally agree. So what's really interesting in, in the psychedelic community now there's the momentum since around 2006 when albert hoffman uh the inventor of lsd the the chemist who you know discovered it in 1943 mm -hmm. he turned 100 in 2006 and there was a, a global symposium in basel mm -hmm. switzerland that i was at and reporting at as oh, a wow. media person uh but that was sort of the start of this now um this term, the psychedelic renaissance. And since then, there's been uh, a lot of incredible work done by many organizations, um, including MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies in the States, the Beckley Foundation in, uh, in the UK, and many, many others worldwide, um, to legitimize and to bring back psychedelic research into the medical fold for um, for healing of people. And so, you know, we, we've heard of now there's a, a stage three MDMA trials being done in around the world for PTSD. Mm -hmm. There's work with psilocybin for late stage anxiety uh, of death or cancer and issues like that. Um, there's all these studies being underdone to bring these medicines back into the Western medical model. Uh, as part of that, there's a lot of, um, a lot of community work around integration, mm -hmm. around a therapeutic approach. And what I'm also seeing is a, a lot of uh, a growth and energy being put into understanding set and setting, preparation for these experiences and integration for these experiences and as part of that there's a beautiful reclamation of understanding that it's not just about the substances themselves so modalities like breath work for instance are very very powerful mm -hmm. uh, uh something we can do you know within us already 
and can uh, can assist us to get to the same states mm -hmm. as the external catalyst of uh, the psychedelic or, or the the plant based medicine. Mm -hmm. So I'm also seeing a lot of. Um, you know, I've interviewed people on my podcast. I have a podcast called In a Perfect World. Mm -hmm. You can search for under just my name, Rakrizam, and In a Perfect World. Uh, and I, I've been, you know, really interested from my work with the Buffalvarius toad, which is very different from the other psychedelics. Essentially, there's been scientific tests done in the last decade looking at ayahuasca, at uh, uh, at um, LSD and psilocybin mushrooms, and psychoactives in general. They've worked with EEG and MRI machines to read the brain waves for people mm -hmm. on these substances. There's a, another NNDMT um, study being done uh, in the UK at the moment. Um, and look at what's happening in the brain. And, and the neuroscience is, is telling us that what the results are showing is that there are these regional clusters of the brain called the default mode network. Mm -hmm. And they aggregate together into this sense of ego and identity, this sense of I, this sense mm -hmm. of here I am as an individual going out into the world. And it's not exactly that the psychoactive substance causes you to have this expanded awareness. It's that the substance, the psychoactive substance, switches off these parts of the brain, mm -hmm. which are actually filters and are stopping us from having an experience of expanded consciousness or full spectrum consciousness all the time. So to navigate down here in what we think of as reality, uh, all our energy and all our focus goes into this realm of being. Mm -hmm. But there's, there's, a, um, there's a train of thought in, in science and consciousness itself that the brain is a receiver of the signal of consciousness, not just a creator of consciousness, mm -hmm. that essentially consciousness is broadcast and you're just changing the channel. You're changing the frequency of your perception, perception especially yeah. with, with things like plant medicines or breath work or things like that. Mm -hmm. So with the, the buffet very, so with these other substances, you're having a sense of, um, your being, your ego, your identity expanding or distorted or journeying on ayahuasca or LSD, et cetera, et cetera. With the, uh, the medicine of the Buffalvarius toad, which contains 5-MeO-DMT, perhaps the most powerful antigen we know of, it's actually working on the frontal lobes, the parietal lobes, mm -hmm. and it's lowering that sense of inhibition, that sense of ego and identity. Your sense of ego, identity, or mind is dissolving or lowering, and it's revealing... Uh, potentially that source consciousness within that mm -hmm. sense of unified unity connecting white light this uh, thing which people all through history have experienced in peak states these mm -hmm. mystical states of oneness this sense of divinity that is within everyone this Buddha nature that is within everyone mm -hmm. so that work has actually led me to really closely look at a lot of the Eastern traditions and the maps in uh, the Vedic cultures oh yeah and they have maps of uh, what they call samadhi or this grand reunification with source consciousness that, you know, you can get to through meditation. Mm -hmm. You can get to through lowering your brain states from beta, alpha into, into different states of being um, and through breath work and through these dedicated modalities that the Eastern traditions point to. So Stan Groff, when he's promoting, you know, breath work and things like that, it's the same wetware we have. Mm -hmm. What we think of as the mind in Western culture is actually like an app. It's like a mm -hmm. program running on the operating system, but we are the full operating system, not just the program. So we're not just our mind. We have a greater capacity than what we think of as the intellectual mind. So when we take 
you know, a psychedelic or a plant medicine or do breath work or Tantra or other modalities that tune us into our full operating system, we are engaging with these levels of being. And the, the real beauty is, I, I just did a, a podcast last night, actually, with a friend here in San Francisco who's an integration coach, Daniel Sidaram, and he's leading groups in um, uh, basically psychedelic breathwork mm. and realizing that, you know, if you've had a peak experience or want to have a peak experience, you can do it through breathwork or you can use breathwork to um, entrain yourself mm-hmm. to go back to the peak experience mm-hmm. after the peak experience or to prepare for the peak experience and that essentially the marriage of psychedelics and Eastern modalities like meditation and breath work, etc., are a marriage made literally in heaven. Mm-hmm. They're meant to be, oh, yeah. you know, in the Rig Veda, which was written 1800 years ago or more, you know, it's one of the holy books uh, in the Eastern traditions, mm-hmm. the Indian traditions, two thirds of that book are apparently uh, songs of praise to the Soma. Soma, so we, yeah, yeah. We don't, it perhaps was a mushroom. It might've been the Amanita muscaria. We don't exactly know, mm-hmm. but it was a drink that they drank 2000 years or so ago, which made them unto gods, plural, mm-hmm. not just God, but like the gods. It invoked within <laughs> them this divine revelation, you know, and this is in their holy book, right? Mm-hmm. And so from that relationship with that substance, they develop the ability to create maps of meditation or um, states of being, of focus, of the mind, of the sense of self, and also um, the mantras, the mudras, mm-hmm. the yogic um, uh, you know, practices, and all of those uh, modalities that support the fullness of the organism, of the body, of the mind, of the soul, to reveal its divine connection. So this can be done in concert with mm-hmm. entheogens like mushroom, psilocybin, cannabis in the right way. There's a movement here I've seen in California of using cannabis and yoga, doing Kriya yoga, Kundalini activation yoga um, with, uh, you know, with this substance. And if you use a substance in a guided set and setting, mm-hmm. you know, with modalities like this, it trains you to go further than just in a recreational set and mm-hmm. setting. So, you know, you don't have to use an entheogenic substance, but these modalities and pathways, I really believe, are the future of the psychedelic entheogenic movement to marry and merge, you know, Mm -hmm. the Eastern mysticism with the plant-based psychedelic perspective for um, embodiment, for integration, for entrainment, and for optimization of the Mm -hmm. human potential. Mm Thank you. Yeah, um, I really love that you've mentioned uh, the Rig Veda and um, how we're learning from the Eastern texts and modalities, how to integrate, because the more I read or I dive deep into Eastern texts, uh, Buddhist texts or Kriya Yoga texts, it's, they basically have manuals to get to the peak experience that we have in Bufo or in Ayahuasca. I'm reading right now uh, the Tibetan Book of the Dead, but it's really the Tibetan book for the living. And it, it's just teaching you how to die consciously so that when the moment comes, you don't die on fear. And I think that's what Bufo gives you. It gives you that experience of dying. And if you don't die with fear, you're coming up. And that's when many people come saying, I was reborn. Uh, but it's very fast. That's why I think integration is crucial. And, and when somebody doesn't quite understand their experience, I tell them, start reading this book. You start, you start finding all the, quest, all the questions and all the information you're looking for. 
Well, you know, you know what I recommend as well? I recommend a good, there's many translations, uh, but a good translation of Patanjali's The Yoga Sutras. Yoga Sutras, yeah. That is even, I find, more applicable than the mm -hmm. Tibetan book of living and dying mm -hmm. um, because that's sort of a map of the afterlife. But this, this one can be a map of the different states of being leading mm -hmm. up to ultimate uh, mahas, nerva culpa samadhi, like nerva the grand samadhi, samadhi. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, th this is... Um, this is something which previous cultures have experienced. Mm -hmm. they, they, they weren't just religions in the sense of what we think of nowadays as money hungry, you know, <laughs> social engineering uh, kickback schemes to, you know, to control us. These are direct gnosis spiritual pathways that teach you your full potential. This is what we, we want. This is what we've been craving mm -hmm. is to know ourselves, know who and what we really are. And I think this is one of the greatest takeaways, specifically something like Bufo, which can engender, you know, that same response in, in a majority of people without attachment to outcome because everyone's different and everyone mm -hmm. has different um, ability to let go and surrender into that. And as you say, integration and preparation is so crucial in all mm -hmm. shamanic journeying, especially with the buffet of various mm -hmm. medicines that's so powerful. Um, but it can be an ideological shock to your sense of self mm -hmm. and, you know, to your sense of what is reality. And it, it's not something you have to intellectually dissect it's something which bypasses the egoic intellect and is felt in the heart, in the knowing, in the intuition of the direct spiritual experience. And I, I, I think that it's a, a revelation and um, something which we're just in the event horizon of realizing what this really means beyond the peak experience of the, the five MEO. If people have an experience of, however we phrase this, whatever euphemism we give it to try to make it more politically correct for people, the source, the force, mm -hmm. the G-O-D, the divinity, the numinous, um, that, that space within, you know, which is knowable. It is us and it is a miracle and it is a gift to know it. And it's the beginning. Once people have had a buffet of various experience, it's the beginning. It's the beginning. Yeah, it's yeah. a relationship because after that, if you keep the temple of your body clean, if you understand that that thing you experience, that divine essence is having a human experience in you, through you, that you are it, then keep the temple of your body clean. It's not just a new age bumper sticker. It's a, it's a vessel. If it's optimized, if your signal processing is clear and clean, then that seed of God, which the Upanishads, another of the Eastern uh, texts, I've been reading a translation of that by Charles Johnson. It's brilliant. Uh, if you're ever into the whole Terence McKenna stuff where he talks about the Logos and like DMT type stuff, this translation of the Upanishads mm -hmm. understands that the Logos in the original Greek is like the word of God. Mm -hmm. It's a frequency, like an intelligent entity which is an emanation of the divine source which remains in source and comes down into creation and through the word of god vibrationally expresses and creates and is the word the word is made flesh and is the creation of mm -hmm. the world but it's a living entity and their cosmology in the upanishads in the eastern tradition there have maps of this and they describe that we have this seed of god within us and as you go through a journey of a lifetime and if you listen and if you nurture mm -hmm. and if you basically water that seed, it has the potential to grow into the fullness of God in the human experience. Mm -hmm. 
not just leaving the body and having a mystical experience and rejoining source through Bufo from an external catalyst, but that seed has layers of growth as it sprouts. And I really feel that this generation of people working with Bufo Alvarius, working with breath work, working with integration and other plant medicines, but specifically because of what Bufo reveals with the 5-MeO, that source consciousness, it's, it's a generation which is a seed, which is sprouting into the potential. And this little phrase that came to me yesterday was like, it's like the tree is the dream of the seed, oh, right? Wow. And, wow. and this generation is currently in the seeding generation, but we have it within us to be the tree mm. and to grow into that and to support each other and for our root system to interconnect and join all the other trees as one giant mega planetary tree mm. and to know our place back in the garden. Maybe this is how the garden comes mm -hmm. back full circle. Mm. So I, I'm really excited to pace ourselves, to support ourselves and to go slow because we have all our lives. One thing that Bufo and tryptamines can reveal is this holographic sense of reality, this sense that all time is one, all space is one, all space time is one, but we have to live through it in discrete moments. Mm -hmm. But if you tune in, you can feel your past self, you can feel your future self. It's all talking to itself. Mm -hmm. And there's no rush because also, we're all in it together and all the seven and a half billion organisms on the planet or the human organisms are actually one meta organism. And it almost feels like as more and more people come online to their own sense of divinity through whatever pathway, some people stay online and the, uh, the baseline consciousness is hopefully rising. It's not just global warming. There's consciousness warming as well. And that something beautiful is blossoming mm -hmm. in the human species mm. that's my great hope and my great intuition mm, beautiful um so why don't we go perhaps to um a while ago uh when was your first uh, ayahuasca ceremony and what and what happened because you are now doing this amazing work uh, sh uh shamans of the global village and your aya awakening documentary when and and what was like the biggest revelation you got in in your first uh, ceremony so it'll be 13 years this June. Uh, that was my first, uh, you know, trip to the Amazon to work with ayahuasca. And uh, basically, you know, it, it was actually more gentle than, than you might expect. I mean, you know, sometimes people think that it's this peak experience. It's this huge visionary thing. I've also found over the years, my, my relationship with, and again, it's a relationship with ayahuasca. It, it really, she works on multiple levels. So she, she, she can help assist you in healing physically mm -hmm. to cleaning you out the purge to clearing out any emotional residue, any energetic things in the body, any physical things that need working on. And for me, I think I've traditionally, at least in my thirties and early forties been, you know, very adrenally based mm -hmm. and, you know, it's, it's calming down enough to synchronize with Madre. So I've not, I mean, I, ha I definitely had visionary experiences and I was going, you know, dozens and hundreds of times probably but it's never been really about the visions for me it's really been about the feeling and what really happened to me on some of those first experiences with ayahuasca in the jungle 13 years ago i was actually working 
My first curandero uh, in Peru was Percy Garcia Lozano, who's the curandero I still work with today mm -hmm. and lead the retreats with. He's a very highly integral uh, maestro shaman who is a vegetalista, works with all healing plants. He's a perfumero um, and he's an ayahuasquero. Um, and basically it was a resensitization to myself and into my heart and to opening and to feeling safe and then and reconnecting with the web of life. So there's, there's a scene in the movie, Eye Awakenings, the documentary, which I did based on my book. Um, and it, it describes and shows, you know, this feeling of feeling the web of life, of reconnecting to it and what that really means. And, and that presence in my heart, in, in my, my feeling, that's been the driver for me in my shamanic awakening and in all the work I've done. You know, there's been a lot of beautiful visionary encounters with ayahuasca and with other substances and a lot of, you know, relationships with, especially ancestors. I feel a very big connection with ancestors uh, in working with all these different medicines. Um, but, you know, essentially it's really this sensitization and in, in interviewing many different curanderos in Peru, you know, they say that, you know, sort of there's a bit of a mashup between Eastern, Western, um, New Age philosophy and indigenous understanding. But if you think of the chakra system and, you know, the seven chakras we have, it's like the heart chakra is, um, is how you navigate. It's for the, 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 lower, mm -hmm. the lower three base chakras and all those sort of more earthy energies to the higher chakras and the celestial energies. The heart's the midway point and the heart is the gateway for your shamanic power and mm -hmm. to be in balance and to be in service, you know, and to be mm -hmm. in right relationship. So ayahuasca really has um, been, you know, a great healer for me on many levels, but I, I lead retreats now once a year down to Peru in the summer, in June, around the solstice. And it's really, it's a beautiful thing to help guide other people through, you know, I, I do lots of discussions like these and we talk about the big picture mm -hmm. and um, we do a lot of integration work. We do, over a 10 day retreat, we do 10, uh, 10 days, five ceremonies. We also okay, work with well. the Cambo frog to help clean people out physically to prepare mm -hmm. for the ayahuasca. We do flower baths and we do a lot of integration work as well. Um, but it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful to mm -hmm. see that what I went through, you know, for the first time 13 years ago, uh, so many more people are coming on board and online and experiencing the healing and the medicine that ayahuasca can provide. Mm. Thank you. Uh, speaking of your Aya Awakening movie, um, there's an image I can't get out of my, uh, my mind uh, of McDonald's and how it's like the last grasp of this reality we try to hold on before surrendering into, into, the, into the infinite, I guess. Um, do you find people that go to your retreat? Because I find it personally in my own retreats that everybody wants change, but not everybody really is willing to change. Uh, what's your experience because you've been holding these retreats and you talk to so many shamans are we really wanting to change or we just say we want to change that's a very perceptive question jose yeah i like i like your uh, your questions and your dialogue in this talk um that's very good because you know i don't think many people understand what change really is we're and afraid I, I see fear big yeah and I mean, you know, we, we talked a lot about, you know, these plant medicines and these experiences. And also at the start, we talked about the way that the West commodifies things mm -hmm. and desacralizes things. And that's always a, a concern, at least for mine and, and people that I work with, is are we approaching things the right way? Are we really ready for these initiations and this mm -hmm. awakening? What does that mean? And are you ready to do the work? So 
a lot of times we can have these peak experiences like the one of the beauties of ayahuasca for instance is that it can assist in um in sort of unloading a lifetime of built-up energies mm. whether that's emotional or uh physical or you know energetic stored things that we don't even know that are changing our relationship to life and our personalities and the way we react so there can be significant takeaways uh in people's um habits in their intentions in the way they feel after uh you know a good retreat that really helps them uh, shift whatever baggage they've been carrying and then the work is they say after a peak experience it's like you've been helicoptered up to the top of the mountain but then if you want to uh, embody the gains from that peak experience you have to physically climb the mountain you have to mm -hmm. do the hard work in your life afterwards so many people do find it challenging going back to the world because they feel different and it's like oh i've got to go back to that job or that relationship or that thing which is not fulfilling so i, I do a little bit of coaching in my retreats as well we, we look at you know joseph campbell the famous mythologist who says basically the hero's journey, the journey yeah. uh, you know he mapped you know all these different world religions and this idea of um you know the hero is is everyone it's everyone who's on a path everyone who is on a path of knowing themselves and their place in the world and there's three basic steps to this there's departure from the known world which whether if you're doing you know a one day or one night ceremony or a more intensive retreat you know and leaving your known world I find the commitment to go to a foreign country where these medicines are legal um, and to leave your world behind and to mm -hmm. dedicate that space and time to your own, um, your own healing and your own Im improvement is, is, is the first step. You're giving yourself permission, mm -hmm. but essentially you leave behind the known world. That's step one. You make that commitment. Step two is the initiation. It's that peak experience or series of peak experiences and learning to integrate those. But step three, which is equally important as all those other steps is the return. And so what he says is the hero goes off in search of knowledge, you know, of the mystery, they have this peak experience and they have their own internal changes. And then they bring back themselves changed and their wisdom they have learned to their community, to their tribe, to continue the healing on behalf of others and to anchor that in themselves and so that's that's the real i think phase we find ourselves at in western culture at the moment where we are you know we're we're, we're a second generation into you know ayahuasca shamanism in the west and mm. you know and other modalities that have sprung up around that there's been not just ayahuasca but the sense of ceremony of the circle of a ritual of set and setting of you know appropriate um, context to do the medicines in has really come with ayahuasca in the last 25 years or so out of out of the jungles, and now there's a resurgence. There's psilocybin circles, there's San Pedro circles, there's Buffalo various circles, there's NNDMT circles. Uh, there's idea that you know coming together as a community to do this healing and exploratory work, and you know it, it, there's now a real uh, um, proliferation of uh, community meetups and sharing and integration circles that mm -hmm. aren't about taking medicines, but they're about coming together to share our experience having taken medicines and to support each other moving forward. So that's pretty much where I see the heroic return and this idea of mm -hmm. community or communitas, mm -hmm. which is evolving in the shamanic communities to go, well, how can we connect with each other? I've been through this incredible, you know, visionary experience and 
I, I've told my family and they, they support me or they don't, or they don't get it. Or, you know, the people at the office don't get it. Or, you know, one of the good things though, is that so much of Western media has been reporting positively on both uh, the psychedelics and then pathogens like MDMA and microdosing and LSD and the legal medical, um, you know, tests that are being done and the legalization, you know, cannabis is largely legal in America now recreationally and medically in different States and around the world, Canada, um, uh, MDMA is coming through as a medicine. Ketamine is legal as a medicine in many states in America and around the world. Um, there's a petition on the ballot in Oregon and in uh, Colorado for psilocybin mushrooms to be used medicinally or decriminalized. Um, so, you know, there's potential for these things to be legitimized. One of the, the big watersheds in, in the recent year has been Michael Pollan, the famous, you know, author of New York yeah, Times his book. and um, has his own own demographic there but he wrote the book how to change your mind mm -hmm. uh and that has been very positively reviewed in all the talk shows late night talk shows all the mainstream media so everyone and their uncle and their parents are talking about psychedelics and plant mm -hmm. medicines as healing agents and so there's a legitimacy in the cultural conversation so people who do have these experiences who have gone off to retreats or are having them in their communities around the world there is more capacity now, more bandwidth to have these conversations with your friends and family and not mm. feel stigmatized. So that is one real, real benefit. And I think the flow through effect is there's a potential where we can then not be hidden, not be a cult, not be under the radar and feel like we're mm. you know, going to be punished by this war on drugs thing because it's failing and, and there's a legitimacy and a legalization movement happening and that we can actually uh, we can be more of an a, a above ground community to support each other in integrating these experiences and the perspective and the shift in worldview that is collectively happening in the species because mm. of these experiences. Mm. Beautiful. Speaking of family, because you've mentioned it a couple of times, how's um, the life of a filmmaker, Shaman's uh, Global uh, Village, How's your life with your family? It must be a constant adventure. You come with all this knowledge or all these teachings and how do you integrate them with uh, your father? So how does that work? Well, you know, I think it's Alan Watts. It, might, it says, you think you're enlightened, go spend 15 minutes with your, your family, right? Um, and, you know, as we do this interview, I have my seven-year-old here in, uh, in, the, in the same room behind me on a screen. So that's probably bad parenting. Uh, and my 77-year-old mother over in the corner in another bed uh, who's being very quiet in the background. Uh, and my 17-year-old daughter who is off at school. And, uh, you know, it's like I said about that first ayahuasca trip, that resensitizing and that mm -hmm. coming into my heart. That's my greatest gift is mm -hmm. that I feel and I feel... I feel in love with life. Oh, I wow. do. No, I go through my ups and downs as well as we all do. Oh, what's that? There you go. My seven-year-old says I'm always in love with life. Oh, but I must say that family is the best medicine, right? Mm. It really is. And that's, that's psychedelic, you know, yeah. in the sense of, of connection, in the sense of expansion is that we, we all, you know, well, not all of us have families, right? And but we have the family of, humankind and so I, i've been finding that you know my psychedelic experiences or my shamanic training if you will is deepening my capacity to love 
and deepening my appreciation where I really do find myself now stopping being in the moment more drinking in the love I have for my children mm. and, and my, my parents and, and being present with them and realizing that this gift of life, it's ever present, but you have to stop and you have to drink oh, yeah. it in. Mm. You have to be with it, right? Mm. You have to connect in a heart space with it and you have to, laugh at it sometimes mm. when the normal stresses of life yeah. and of interpersonal dynamics and of you know everyone getting on each other's backs etc etc and triggering each other that doesn't stop but the ability to have a bit of a buffer zone and to realize um you know realize the interpersonal dynamics and realize the family constellation and how we're all connected and realize the holographic web of life that we're all part of and seeing in the face of my seven-year-old or the face of my 77-year-old mother, the same lineage and the same, you know, look that we have. And, and it's just, there's a beauty. There's a real beauty that I am totally in love with that. And, you know, we are a distributed family across the world. And sometimes that causes me heartache and pain. And I feel that sometimes if my heart shuts down, that, that really shuts mm. my ability down to, be in a shamanic space because it's all about keeping that heart open. Mm -hmm. So I am very grateful and very open and very loving and very humbled by the experience. Mm, beautiful. I think uh, what you just said is um, I was interviewed on another podcast a couple of days ago and, and this girl was asking like, so why is there people that do like a hundred ayahuasca ceremonies and they keep going and they keep going. And I think you just gave a beautiful answer, which is you stop, you, you have a break and you realize that love is abundant, that you just have to drink from love. You don't have to go for the next peak experience because life itself is a constant peak experience because there's no past and there's no uh, future. There's only the eternal present. So um, yeah, beautiful way. And having, you're like a neo shaman, more than shaman with uh, showing your kids that you can, you can uh, work and play and you can live in San Francisco and, and do documentaries and, and share the love in the way you're doing. That's, that's amazing. Um, yeah. I'm, you know what I like to say? I say that beyond the peak experience of when you're having a, a medicine experience, mm -hmm. the, 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 the temple space might be closed. The set and setting, you're doing it in a set, you know, mm -hmm. that has a beginning and a close, but the ceremony of life continues. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so bring that consciousness, that, that attention, that, that focus that you have in ceremony as your, scanning and receiving and expanding and purging and whatever but that awareness of awareness bring that presence into your everyday life and you will realize that the ceremony of life continues mm -hmm. and that we're always connected and we're always being guided and that we are supported and the ancestors are always there and the great spirit is always there metakwiasan is always there all my relations and it's it's wooing us. It's asking us to come back into that relationship, into that connection. And that's what I think the greatest takeaway from plant and earth medicines is not just that peak experience, but they're, they're, they're basically saying, okay, they're showing us this web of life and this connection. And they're also showing us that in our being, we are the medicine too. Mm. And that these things are essentially training wheels. You know, that the ayahuasca experience is cleaning people out. You're having a beautiful visionary experience perhaps, but it's cleaning you out to sensitize. And then things like the, the, the 5-MeO, the Bufo of Arius, very dynamically reveal. It's not the Bufo that's doing it to you. It's 5-MeO is absorbed through the blood-brain barrier and it's unlocking your full potential. 
you have that endogenously mm. you are the medicine, the medicine life right? is sacred right mm. and it's like it's I, I feel like they're asking us to come back to the garden to realize it's all around the miracle mm. and we just have to like shift our consciousness and tune it in and stay in that consciousness and everything's gonna be okay so it will almost be like the opposite of Timothy Leary. It'll be like drop out, turn on, and then you tune in. Uh, yeah, beautiful. Um, quick question. So, how do you do? You ha what's your personal practice? You have a daily practice to help you remember all of those beautiful teachings. Remember that life is a it's a ongoing ceremony. That there's no beginning and end. Well, I've got to admit that I I am a work in progress myself, and. Uh, You know, I, I do. Number one is I be grateful. Number one is I, I try to every day. I've heard this little urban meme, which is basically there's a, there's a medicine called Iboga out of Africa and the Bwiti tribe, mm -hmm. uh, one of the originators of that. And apparently they have a prayer and only one prayer. And they say, thank you, Lord, for this day. Right. Oh, wow. And there's something that they say in gratitude that the universe listens. We're not separate. We're connected. We're all nerve endings of God in matter, right? We're incarnate. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a feedback loop. And when you send out gratitude to the universe, it's like it hears it, it feels it, it bounces right back at you and it mm -hmm. gives you more of the goodness. So I try to be grateful for everything and have that perspective every day. I'm also... I guess maybe I'll put it out there publicly so maybe people can help uh, ask me if they see me, how I'm going and keep me on the path. But I'm, I'm really um, enamored by and taking on board learning more breath work, mm -hmm. uh, maybe a pranayama type style. But I know some friends who have been practicing the Wim Hof method, not just with the ice baths, but the certain breathing techniques. And especially a lot of the the Bufo community I'm part of, you know, really getting into breath work and having what we call reactivations because... Mm -hmm. It's not about the external catalyst of the Bufo toad 5-MeO. It's about that the toad acts almost like a one car to another with a flat battery getting jump-started. Mm -hmm. And once you are the vehicle, you have this endogenous capacity. And so then once you've had that grand galactivation of the peak experience on Bufo, you've been galactivated. It's God's factory reset. That vibration is active in you. That seed of God is blossoming. And then with modalities like meditation and breath work, you can then very dynamically and, um, you know, in a replicable way, access that potential within mm -hmm. you. So time I walk my talk and I'm really mm -hmm. wanting to actually do more breath work and more yoga and get into those modalities. So please listeners, if you see me out there in 2019, kick my butt. And accountability, accountability. Yeah. yeah, yeah I, I would like you. to share with you, um, Speaking of breathwork, um, not too long ago, I was offering a breathwork circle in, in, uh, in Madrid. I actually studied with Wim Hof, and uh, he has the breathwork that goes into the inner fire system, which is cold water, breathwork, and some exercise in yoga. And then he has what he calls DMT breathing, which um, it was like a tooth. It, was, it had two meanings, obviously DMT as we know it, and also like deep meditative trance because you know people didn't want to call it dmt as 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 it is but um i was doing the breath work and many half of the attendees were past uh retreaties they came to do uh bufo in a in a retreat not too long ago and after the session like all of them they they were like dude i just went into bufo five times it, it's crazy and everybody else was like what's that bufo what are you talking about so one person if you said like it feels like 
now we've hacked the system. I almost feel bad that the rest are not being able to go to that state because Bufo already opens. It was the catalyst. But it's mm. so easy to go into those reactivations by having that daily practice and, and remembering. And this is what I mean, it's so exciting because I mean, in Bufo community, like Ayahuasca's, you know, hundreds of thousands of mm -hmm. years old in the lineage. Bufo as a modern sacrament doesn't have an unbroken lineage or, or it may have been used by Mesoamerican cultures in the past, but it's really five to 10 years old in modern Mexico and Western culture. Um, and what we're learning is once we've had this activation, then these other modalities, as you say, like breath work, we can access our own divinity ongoingly. So imagine mm -hmm. where this is going to go, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, yes. this is the potential uh, re-sacralization and the potential reinvigoration of these ancient techniques of ecstasy to know our divine nature. This is how the golden age comes full circle. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, beautiful. So speaking about Bufo, um, so is uh, the World Bufo Virus Conference Congress happening 2019? I think so. I believe so. Uh, you could check out the, uh, the website wbac.info, weback.info. There has been talk with uh, the main Mexican organizers, Mario Garnia and others, to host it again uh, that last weekend in July. And uh, they're the main ones organizing it, so you have to take it up with them. But there is plans to have that, uh, that community gathering yet again in Mexico mm -hmm. City. Okay, awesome. Uh, one um, last question. Um, let's suppose that they granted Rak Rasam one minute on public TV worldwide, which all channels will tune in into your channel with the camera and you have one minute to share a message. What, what would that be? Jesus, put me on the spot there. Let's say you have one to four minutes. Sometimes it could be complicated in one minute, but yeah, what, what could you share? Okay. Everybody's um, watching and everybody's ready. They're like, Rak Rasam is live. Gentle beings of planet Earth, greetings and I salute you. Welcome home. Welcome home to your heart. Welcome home to this moment. This moment is called the present because it is a gift, because it's all you have. You sequentially live through space time moment by moment, but all time is one. All beings are one. And this revelation is upon you. We are entering the time of the awakening. This means letting go of all that you think you know and all that you think you are. It is a sacrifice in the original meaning of the word sacrifice is sacred. The sacredness is within the divinity is within. You don't have to try. You don't have to solve. You don't have to fix. You don't have to hide. You don't have to withdraw or deny or attach or strive. This is happening to you, with you, and for you. This awakening is your true nature. This process is underway and there is a quickening happening on your planet right now. This is the season of the awakening. We are all the divine 
and it is blossoming in your hearts, in your souls, in your beings. You have a choice to accept this, to know this beyond the mind, to know this in the heart. When you accept this truth, it will grow within you and more instructions will come. Trust, come together in love, for love is all there is and all is one. Mm. Aho. Aho for that, brother. Um, that's one of the reasons why I was so excited to have you on, the, on this episode, because after listening to you and meeting you at the, the World Buffalo Virus uh, Congress, uh, I said, like, I need to have Rack. He, you always choose such beautiful words to express what many of us are thinking and are experiencing through our own journey. Uh, I would like to acknowledge all the work you're doing to bring this out of the darkness or bring this out of the jungle also, you know, to make the work of so many beautiful souls uh, that are working as shamans and they're sharing their gift of life and they're uh, going probably even, uh, they're doing things that might be illegal in some countries, but they're going through that just for the higher purpose of awakening and love and community and, uh, and for showing up, as you said, uh, we, we have to show up. I, I do believe, and you're a clear example of showing up and, and making your message as clear as possible and taking away the taboo, the darkness out of such sacred practices because uh, it's no longer the Kali Yuga. We're coming to the golden age and we definitely have to show up, rise up and, and smile and, and just uh, drink that elixir of eternal love that we have within our communities, within our families. Um, I'll definitely suggest everybody to check out Shamans of the Global Village. Uh, there's amazing episodes there where you can see masters at their craft, uh, your podcast also, and Aya Awakenings. The movie is available on Vimeo, which is amazing. It's, it's, a, it's a really good way of, if somebody hasn't done ayahuasca, of getting the, the bigger picture. And if you've done, maybe getting a different perspective of ayahuasca, mother ayahuasca. Um, is there anything else you would like to share? Um, I'm so grateful and I'm, I really want to acknowledge your time and, and presence. Yeah, thank you. It's been a really great chat. I really uh, enjoyed your questions and the way you brought the conversation. I can see a depth in your own being and you know the, the, the experiences you've had. So this has been a very enjoyable conversation. Uh, I think you've got most of the sites and we can put them up. You know, my main site's rakrazam.com. Um, the monthly podcast chat is always enjoyable to connect with other consciousness thinkers and people um, exactly as you said, you know, really devoting their lives to trying to share the wisdom um, to help just to help in the process. You know, it's bigger than us all. We are all in it together. And I think uh, that's, that's something to remember is that there's a planetary emergency, which is happening at the moment and it has within it, the potential for emergence. Mm. That's the point. It's not all doom and gloom, but there's a crucible coming up when we're all being asked to step up mm. and to support each other in that stepping up. Mm. And so as you know, um, Douglas Adams says in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, don't panic, right? Remain in love, mm. remain in heart frequency, come together, all is one. Mm, thank you.